Mark chapter 10, and we'll begin reading with verse 17. And remember, Mark 10 is in the context of Jesus and discipleship. As Mark writes, he's emphasizing discipleship. And in verses 13 through 16, Mark shared what Christ said, except you become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of God. And a little child is one who is helpless or helplessly dependent. And he says we need to become helplessly dependent if we're going to come into the kingdom of God. And then in verses 17 through 31, we find an example of a man who was not willing to be helpless. He was not willing to be dependent. He wanted to do things his own way. Mark 10, 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this a man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, No one who has left home, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or fields, for me and the gospel, will fail to receive a hundred times as much. In this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them, persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last. And the last first. We have discussed this passage and we found that the rich man was not willing to respond to Jesus. And he went away sad and the disciples are amazed, they're thunderstruck, they just don't understand. When Jesus says how, rich it, or how hard it is for a rich to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus goes on and he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And I think the disciples took that literally. No, a camel going through the eye of a needle, it's impossible because of the response in verse 26. Who then can be saved? And Jesus emphasizes in verse 27 that it's through God's work. People come to Christ because of God's work. It's a God thing, whether it be rich or poor, those in between to come into faith in Christ. It is in that setting 
that Peter says in verse 28, we have left everything to follow you. Now, if we're going to understand Peter's statement, we need to understand what Jesus said to the rich man. Jesus said to the rich man, go, sell what you have and give to the poor, and then come and follow me. The rich man wouldn't do that. Peter now says, Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. How do we rate? In essence, he's saying, we're not like the rich man. We've left everything to follow you. The 12 gave up their fishing business, tax collecting, and so on to follow Christ. They left their families, their business, their job. They chose to do what the rich man would not do. They shifted their priorities to dependency upon Christ. They recognized Christ in his identity, his character and being as the one who was the son of God. And they chose helpless dependency. They did what the rich man, or what Jesus told the rich man to do. Jesus responds to Peter and he says, I tell you the truth. When he says, I tell you the truth, that's being emphasized. What does he say? No one who has left, no one who has made a choice to leave home, brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and for the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. He mentions home, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields and then persecutions. Christ is to be followed for who he is. And because of who he is, he says, if someone leaves mother, father, children, fields for the gospel, will not fail to receive in return. Jesus does not expand his explanation here. He just says, if someone's willing to leave home, brother, sisters, mothers, or father, or children, or fields for me and for the gospel will fail to receive as much in this present age. And he mentions homes and brothers and sisters. He doesn't say what he means by that. He just says, you choose to leave, you choose helpless dependency, you know, there will be a response. You will receive something in this present age. And the reason I'm not amplifying that and trying to explain it is because the text doesn't. The text says, you're willing to leave mom and dad and so on. For the gospel, you'll receive a hundred times as much. But again, he mentions homes and family, but he doesn't go into detail. So we're going to leave that because I don't think that's the primary point of the passage. But he also says persecutions. Persecutions. The 12 are going to be persecuted. 11 of the 12 will die, basically a martyr's death. If you go to some countries of the world today, and it doesn't have to be limited to some countries, it would be in our own country, those who follow the Islam faith, if a Muslim comes to faith in Christ, more than likely their life is on the line because the family will be out to kill them. Persecution. Give up family for Christ. 
And again, I know I'm making a statement here and I'm aware of their doctrine. An Amish person would come to faith in Christ. They will experience some persecution shunning from their family. A person who is given to drugs and alcohol and they come to faith in Christ and they walk away from that lifestyle, they're going to experience some persecution from some of their friends and so on. And Jesus says if you know, one's willing to give up, I will, or that person will receive much in the future as well as the present. He says in the future, the age to come, eternal life. James Edwards says, and I quote, Jesus responds in 10, 29, and 30 that the sacrifices of Peter and all the disciples in the name of Christ will be rewarded a hundred times as much in this world and with eternal life in the world to come. The remarkable thing about the list of verse 29 is that our most essential natural network of relationships and allegiances, homes, families, and fields must be forsaken for the scandalous call of Christ takes priority over them and requires severing of old allegiances. One can follow Christ, or one cannot follow Christ with one's former baggage. One must give up nets and his other riches. Ironically, however, one will receive a hundred times over what one forsook for Christ's sake. Mentioned persecutions in verse 30 is noteworthy. For it is the only negative item in a list of blessings. It presents, or his presence in the list reminds disciples that Christian existence is not utopia. And Christian faith is not an insurance policy against adversity and hardship. Not only in this, is this generally true of discipleship, but the presence of persecutions, likely that those went through for Mark's congregation in Rome, suffered so profoundly under Nero's persecutions. Their sufferings and all suffering that results from faithfulness to the gospel are not a sign of divine abandonment or disfavor, but an inevitable commitment of faith. Followers of Jesus must be clear that discipleship is not both and but in either or, Jesus will have no divided allegiances. End of quote. If we're not careful in the world today, ah, oh, I've been persecuted for Christ, where's God? That's a sign of God's blessing. We in the world today pray for the persecuted church and we need to. And if we're not careful, we end up praying for them to be delivered rather than seeing their persecution as part of following Christ and actually a blessing from God. Jesus said, persecutions, the age to come, eternal life. Then in verse 31, Jesus says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. In the context of saying, if you give up to follow Christ, you will receive a hundred times more. 
he says, the first will be last and the last first. What's he talking about? What does he mean? Let's take our Bibles and go over to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, where Jesus gives an account to explain what the first being last and the last being first really means. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through the end of the chapter, we find the same account of the rich young man that was being discussed in Mark's gospel in Mark chapter 10. And at the end of that account, we find the same as in Mark's account in verse 30 of Mark or Matthew 19. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. And then he goes on in chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. When he was talking to the rich man, the rich man, you know, wanted to enter the kingdom of heaven. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And so on. So Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, which involves Christ. It's like a landowner. A landowner would have owned a homestead plus a large vineyard. So he goes out early in the morning, and where he would have went would be into the marketplace in town where people who wanted to work would gather. So he goes early in the morning, and I think we can say probably 6 a.m., to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into the vineyard. Now the agreement of working for the day which would go to 6 p.m. for a denarius, was a going wage for a laborer or a soldier. It's going wage, fair wage. He says, I'll give you a denarius, and they agree. We're going to work the day for denarius. So he sent them into his vineyard. Verse 3, about the third hour, which would be 9 a.m. in the morning, He went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you what is right. Now notice he doesn't give a figure. He just says, I'll pay you what is right. So they went. They would only be working probably nine hours. He went out again in about the sixth hour, which would be noon, in the ninth hour, and did the same thing. When it says he did the same thing, he would have went into the marketplace and he would have said to people at the sixth hour, go work in my vineyard and I'll pay you what is right. He doesn't tell them how much he'll pay. He says, I'll pay you what is right. At three o'clock again, he goes in the marketplace, there's some men standing there. He says, go work in my vineyard and I'll pay you what is right. He doesn't give a figure. He just says, I'll pay you what is right. About the eleventh hour, which would be about 5 p.m. our time, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, What have you been standing here all day? Or why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. He doesn't even say about paying them. He just says, Go work in my vineyard. They're going to go and at the most work for an hour. 
When evening came, I think we could say probably six o'clock our time, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. So the foreman is going to pay them, and he says, begin with the last. It was customary to begin with those hired first. So those hired first, they agreed to a denarius. They would get their denarius, and they would go on. Those who were hired at 9 o'clock, they would get their pay for nine hours, and they would go on. Those who were hired at noon would get their pay for their half a day of work and go on. Those hired at 3 would get their pay for three hours, and those that were last would be paid last. They would get their pay for an hour and go on their way. This landowner switches it around. He begins with those that were hired at at 5 o'clock or the 11th hour. Goes to those at the 9th hour, to the 6th hour, to the 3rd hour, and then those hired for the whole day. The workers who were hired first about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius. That's what was paid for a full day's work. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received an denarius. So those came who were hired first. They expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. Now picture yourself standing here. You've been hired to work all day for a denarius. Nine o'clock, some workers come along. Twelve o'clock, some more come along. Three o'clock, some more come along. Five o'clock, some more come along. You go to get paid. And here you are, you work the whole day. And you stand and watch those that get paid for one hour of work, paid a denarius. Something's not right. And those that have worked three hours get paid a denarius. And those that get worked six hours get paid a denarius. And those that work nine hours get paid a denarius. And what is going through your mind? This guy's really neat. We'll probably get five denarius. And what do they get? A denarius. What's their response? When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. That seems to be a fair complaint. Hey, these guys worked an hour. Some of them worked three, and some of them six, and some of them nine, but none of them worked 12. This isn't fair. They grumble against the landowner. Now, just try to identify with that. So Dan goes and works 
at UPS. And he is told that after he works there, how many months you'll get health care? Nine months he'll get health care. And he's worked there for a number of years now, and he has his health care. And lo and behold, they hire someone, and they say to them, You get health care in nine months. But we want you to know that uh, we're going to give you the same wage as Dan is making now. He's worked here a number of years. He's a little higher paid, but we're going to give him the same wage. Unless I miss my guess, Dan would think this isn't fair. Am I right, Dan? You know, you probably think that way. No? That's the way we think, and that's not wrong. So Danny needs some help this week. So Neil has worked all week. And there's a couple guys work one day, and a couple guys work two days. And Danny's doing it different on payday this you know, when they get paid for what they did this week. And he calls Neil and the other guys in. And he says to the guy that worked today, $1,000 for this week. And only you're going to work today, but $1,000. And the guy who worked two days, he says, oh, there's $1,000 for you too. And Neil's thinking, hmm, good pay this week. And Danny says, Neil, $1,000. See, these people are struggling in responding. But he answered them in verse 13. Friend, I've not been unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? And then he says, so the last will be first, and the first will be last. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men. What is being said? What is Jesus communicating? When he says the first will be last and the last will be first. We, as humans, are concerned about rank and position. Christ is concerned about the heart attitude in following Christ. Or are you envious because I am generous? Here's Peter. So Jesus, you know, we left all to follow you. Now, what about us? And Jesus responded to that, but he's also giving the parable here. We left all to follow you, Peter said in verse 28 of Mark 10. But again, Christ is concerned about the heart attitude. 
not mere rewards. Humans are concerned about rewards and benefits. Ah, I worked here 20 years. I get a parking spot. I get some other perks. They put money into retirement and so on. Jesus says, no. I'm concerned about love and commitment and faithfulness. The world, humans would say, I must get my share. It must be fair. Jesus would say, rejoice in the generosity of the giver. Human says, hire first, pay first. Christ says, hire last, pay first. Same pay. Human. Uh, Compassion. Or I'm sorry, comparison and envy. Comparison and envy. Christ would say thank you or thankfulness for the generosity of the giver. Humans, few see the pay. In this particular parable, all see the pay. The last hard first knew what? the first hard were to receive. From a human perspective, the first think I will get my share. You know, they're thinking we should have more. And Christ says, I will give you what I promised. Human says, look out for self. Christ says, concern for generosity. Jesus seems to be telling the 12 that they will be rewarded last. They will see those who follow Christ after them and perhaps for a much shorter time and they will be rewarded richly. And they're to glory in the generosity of Christ. They're to trust him. They're not to focus on fairness. I need another volunteer. Anyone else willing to volunteer? Mike, Mike, for the couple minutes that are remaining, you're to sit and you're to listen and pay attention. You will receive what is right. In Matthew 20, 1 through 16, these rhetorical questions in verses 13 through 15, didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? These rhetorical questions show that God's great gifts, simply because they are God's, are distributed not because they are earned, but because he is gracious. The principle of the world is that he who works the longest receives the most pay. That is just. But in the kingdom of God, the principle of merit and ability must be set aside so that grace can prevail.
So whether you're the rich man and you leave all to follow Christ or you're the 12 and you leave all to follow Christ and the 12 follow Christ for years or you've been saved a year and you follow Christ for a year, it's all of grace prevailing. The point of the parable is not that all in the kingdom will receive the same reward, but that kingdom rewards depend on God's sovereign grace. Ponder, avoid falling prey to work for wages spirit in the kingdom of God. Use a pastor as an illustration. A pastor takes a church, and for sake of illustration, we're going to say it's a fairly sizable church in terms of building and parking lots. And one of his questions is, do I get a parking spot that says pastor near the entrance? And the board says no. If you want a spot marked, we will mark one at the back of the parking lot for pastor. But you don't understand, I'm the pastor around here and I come here often. I should have some perks with this job. That's a work for the wage in the kingdom of God. Glory. Or recognize God's sovereignty to distribute as he pleases. Okay, I've pastored for some 40 years between here and, and Alabama. I'm using terms that, to emphasize a point, I don't think this way, but just using it to illustrate a point. Some nitwit who has blown their life on drugs and alcohol and immoral living comes to faith in Christ. They live for a year after coming to faith in Christ and die. We're standing before God and they get rewarded before I do. And they get the same thing as I do. God. No, Dan. Let me distribute as I please. Glory in God's generosity. See, Peter is saying, What about us, Lord? We have left. All to follow you. The last will be first. The first will be last. If I choose to give a denarius for someone who worked an hour and a denarius for someone who worked all day, glory in my generosity, my grace. The kingdom of God is much different than human reasoning. 
the last first and the first last in generosity by our Lord. So in response to Peter's question, Jesus says, no, you'll get reward now and in the future, but the, la- or the first will be last and the last will be first. Emphasizing the grace of God using the account of the rich landowner. So if Danny, Bill, and Mike would come to the front, please. You probably know what's coming already. Mike, I did notice that you seemed to listen pretty well for the couple minutes that you were supposed to. There's your $5. Bill, you seem to listen pretty well and be attentive and so on. There's your $5. Danny, we agreed that if you listened and paid attention, I'll give you $5. There's your $5. You can be the rest. <laughs> Ponder the kingdom of God is not like the kingdom of men. Whether it be rich or poor or halfway between, it's because of God's generous grace that we can have a relationship with God. And whether we serve Christ for 50 years or 60 years or 70 years or a year, whatever we receive is because of God's generous grace. Avoid the mindset of money, reward, and glory in the generosity of God's grace. Christ, over and over again, takes our mentality and our thinking and turns it upside down. To emphasize his grace, his generosity. And in the context of speaking to the rich man, Jesus says, the first will be last, and the last first. Let's pray together. Father, Over and over in our world and in our lives, we think of that which is fair, that which is just. And you seem to think, and you do think in terms of grace and generosity. May we grasp, Father, that if we have come to faith in Christ, it's because of your grace, your generosity. It's not because of our efforts. And whether we serve the Lord for a year and go on to eternity or 50 years and go on to eternity, anything received is because of your grace. And in your kingdom, Father, that 
The emphasis is on generosity and grace, not on that which we consider fair. May we grasp that in our thinking, Father, and live accordingly. It's not about us. It's about you. It's not about us. It's about Christ. And the fact that you in grace sent Christ. You in love sent Christ. And you in grace and generosity have drawn us to yourself. Not because of what we have done, but because of your grace. May we live and respond accordingly, Father, for it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.